Well, good morning, Solace Church. Thank you for choosing to come back on the week after Easter as we begin this new series called Aftermath. This series is going to focus on the historical events that took place after the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to look at these events in history and we're going to, we're going to discover the significance of those events in our lives today. There was, a, there was a difference that was made in the lives of those who encountered the risen Jesus. Their lives were forever changed because of it. And we want to discover how that can also be true in our lives. And so I'm looking forward to sharing with you this series. If you were here today because a friend or family member invited you, thank you for choosing to be here. We say this often at Solace Church, you're not here by accident. It's no surprise that you showed up today. And I believe it's very likely God would want to say something specifically to you this morning. So if you're a guest visiting with us, thank you for being here. If you're watching online at solacechurch.com, thank you for being a part of our online community as well. So let's talk this morning about the aftermath. What does it mean to live in light of the aftermath of the resurrection? Um, We have a rule at our house. And this is the rule. When I say it's time to leave, that means our kids, you, my kids, get in the car and we're going to leave. And if you do not get in the car when I say it's time to leave, I will leave you. Now that may be very poor parenting. I don't know. But that is what we have said to our kids. And we have put this into practice. Uh, we put it with, into practice with Graham and Grady. Grady, uh, when we were living at our rent house, was, bounce, was jumping on the trampoline and, and we said it was time to go. I don't know exactly where we were going, but it was time to go and so we all got in the car and I told Grady, let's go and he did not get in the car and so we got all in the car and the van and we left and he was still jumping on the trampoline. Um, he was a bit freaked out. But Grady's the, he wants to be the alpha male in the family. He is not the alpha male and he knows that, but he wants to be. And so he exerts his independence as much as he possibly could. He was a little bit scared at that event. But it pales in comparison to what happened to Graham when I did it to him. Graham, just a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months ago, we were, same thing, we were all getting ready to go. I'm not sure where we were going, but I told the boys, I told our whole family, Georgia included, hey, it's time to go. Let's go, let's get in the car. Get your clothes on, get your shoes on, let's go. So I told him, and they did not do it. Graham was very unresponsive. And um, he's generally pretty complicit, but, but at this point, he just didn't want to get his clothes on, get ready to go, get his shoes on. So he did not get in the car. And so everyone else was ready. Graham was still inside doing whatever he was doing. And so we all got in the van, and we began to leave. Now, our garage door is open. Our driveway is not incredibly long, but it's, 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 it's long enough that you would need to drive for a while before you're out of, out of, out of, uh, out of sight. And so Graham on the inside of the house recognizes the whole family is in the car he comes out as we're backing up and turning around and leaving now from a very early age Graham was always incredibly terrified to be by himself and so if we were to be five or six steps ahead of him he would start running after us hold up his hand and say wait he was scared to death of that well this time we weren't five or six steps we were halfway down the road Graham comes out he sees that we are leaving and he is panicked scared out of his mind he is running as fast as he can through the yard towards the driveway as we are leaving i'm watching him in the rearview mirror he is scared out of his mind he does not know what to do we finally stop he reaches the car you can see it on his face sheer terror he is weeping he gets in the car and he gets in his seat and it takes him a while to recover 
When I say, though, today, let's leave, he's the first in the car. (laughs) There's something about fear that can be paralyzing. It can grip your heart. I think that there may be some Christians, some people in the room today. And you walked in the room today. It's possible you're here and your heart has been gripped with fear. You know, fear is a powerful, a powerful emotion. If you study this even throughout Scripture, one of the things, you've no, one of the things you'll notice is when, when, when God kind of just made himself known in the world through some kind of event... Oftentimes, it's coupled with men or women falling to the ground in fear, basically passing smooth out, terrified about what they were seeing. Research has shown that that people can literally be scared to death. I mean, there are people who have died, and they died not from wounds inflicted, but by the circumstances surrounding what they were facing. That there, there is this release of chemicals when you're afraid, a release of chemicals into your system that goes to your heart, that literally can seize up your heart so that it cannot beat again. The scared to death is not just a phrase, it literally can happen. Go back with me for a moment to first century Jerusalem. Jesus had died on the cross on Friday. He had risen from the dead on Sunday morning. There were several women who went to the tomb, saw the empty tomb. A couple of the disciples went as well. But the disciples had not seen Jesus yet. But they had been a part of the whole experience of going through the process of Jesus being arrested, then crucified, then buried. Now there's a rumor that he he is alive, but they haven't seen him. Something very interesting happens to the disciples on the evening after the resurrection. And if you're writing things down, here's what you need to to know. That, That when fear desires to grip our heart and paralyze us, that Jesus can come in through his resurrection and change that. As a matter of fact, if you're writing things down, write this down. In the aftermath of the resurrection, I can live fearlessly. I want to show you how this takes place in Scripture. In John chapter 20, verse 19, John records for us the events, the historical events, of the encounter with the disciples and the resurrected Jesus. And in verse number 19, this is how the story unfolds. On the evening of that first day of the week, remember, he died on 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 Friday... He rose on Sunday. Now it's Sunday evening, and this is what's taking place. When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Stop. The very disciples who had walked with Jesus for three years now are locked in a room for fear of the Jews. They had just gone through the experience where Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They had gone through the experience where Judas had betrayed Jesus, one of those trusted disciples of Jesus. They had watched how the Jews had had, had mocked Jesus, had put him on trial, and had cried out for his crucifixion. Now they're very concerned about their own well-being. Hear me. Life does this to everyone at some point. Maybe not in the exact same way. But there are times in our life where we go through periods 
where there are changes in our life or circumstances that come our way that can cause our hearts to be gripped with fear. For instance, and it may not sound like, sound like a big deal to some of you, but for instance, when you, when, maybe when you get let go of a job or when you get laid off or when you get fired or you have to make a job transition, that can be a very scary period of time for someone. I know in Tulsa right now, where there's, this, there's this, you know, this scenario where oil prices are suppressed and, and there are oil companies who are, who are really, really struggling right now. And, and so they're having to, you know, having to lay some people off. And you look at those individuals who are being laid off and maybe they've been in that job for years and years and years and they're considering, what am I going to do next? There are people who who can literally be gripped with fear in those circumstances. There may be someone in the room today and you've gone through a major life-changing situation. Maybe it's not your job, but maybe what was normal for you up until now or a few weeks ago or a few months ago is now not normal. There's been such a significant shift. It happens when we lose a loved one. It happens when we face, for instance, with a diagnosis uh, that we weren't expecting, you know, some kind of terminal kind of diagnosis or something happened with our health. It's that moment in time where life becomes uncertain and fear begins to creep in. And the truth is, it can become overwhelming if we're not careful. It can consume our thoughts, our attention. It can paralyze us. And in a very, in a very symbolic way, we can lock ourselves up in a room, paralyzed by what the world might have to give to us. The disciples are in this very situation. They're locked up in a room for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, in the first century, this phrase, peace be with you, was, was shalom. It was, that, it was that phrase that just people said when they greeted each other, right? We have greetings in our, in our culture as well. Uh, in, in first century culture, it wasn't uncommon for, for this phrase, peace be with you, to be given. But, 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 but. But remember, this word peace was significant in Jesus' teaching. Now, follow the story. All right? On Thursday, when Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room, they have the Passover meal, they have the Lord's Supper, the communion supper. Jesus washes their feet, but Jesus also teaches them. If you read John 14, 15, and 16, and then on into 17 in Jesus' prayer, you will see that Jesus spent a significant amount of time teaching the disciples about what was about to happen. That was three days ago. Really, four days ago, three and a half. (laughs) Three and a half days ago. Here's what Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you you may be also. And he goes on to say in that text, listen, I'm not going to leave you alone. But I'm going to go away. But I'm going to send a comforter, one who's going to provide for you incredible comfort. And I'm also going to give you peace. My peace, not peace like the world gives, but a different kind of peace that the world can't even understand. And I'm going away, but I'm not leaving you alone. That was three days ago. How quickly they had forgotten what Jesus had already taught them. Isn't that just like us sometimes? I mean, we see scripture, it becomes alive for us. You hear a message that's life-changing on Sunday, but Thursday, you're already in a crisis mode. Anyone ever been there? It's amazing the disconnect between hearing the truth from God's word and then living in a world outside of the walls of the church. This is what's going on in the life of disciples. They heard the teaching of Jesus, but they encountered a very vicious Roman empire and Jewish, legalistic, self-righteous system. And now they're scared. But Jesus comes in and says, peace 
This peace is a powerful, powerful word here. Remember, all throughout Scripture in the New Testament, as, as, as the writers of the New Testament continue to develop the understanding of what Jesus meant by this, Paul would write things like this, that, that this peace of God, which transcends all understanding, would guard our heart, hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, right? It's not peace like, like that fits circumstances, but it's peace in spite of the circumstances, right? Jesus comes in and says, peace. Now, this was a pivotal moment in the life of the disciples. What happens next is incredibly important. So notice what happens next in verse number 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, John includes this in this, in this passage of scripture for a very specific reason. And here's why. By this time, when John writes the gospel, either in 70 or 90 AD, whichever one you believe, somewhere in that time frame, whenever he writes this gospel, one of the things that's already crept into the church is about 40 years after the resurrection is the idea that Jesus did not actually bodily rise from the dead. Actually, Luke's gospel, parallel gospel, shows us that when the disciples saw Jesus, this is the first time they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. And so Jesus shows them the hands where he had been pierced, his side where he'd been pierced. Luke records for us that Jesus said, hey, you guys got anything to eat? I'm hungry. So they made him a filet of fish That's what he ate there before them, right? And so he shows them, I am the risen Christ. This is not a ghost. This is not some spiritual experience. It is the resurrected Jesus. Now, I love what John says. John says the doors were locked. It's an important part of the story. Because what John is helping us understand is certainly that they were fearful. There's no doubt about that. But John also wants the reader to understand that Jesus came in in a miraculous way. In the first century, there were several different locking mechanisms for, for, for the kind of door, or the kind of home these guys would have been in. The door, in other words, was secure. There was no way someone was going to get in, right? What John records for us is that these disciples met the Jesus who had been resurrected. <clears throat> it was a... It was a new body, but it was Jesus in person. He showed them the scars. He showed them the side. They were changed because of it. Do you know why? Are you ready? Because on Friday, they were hopeless. On Friday, they were full of anxiety. On Sunday night, they're still hopeless. They're still full of anxiety. But there's something that's radically different when people meet the resurrected Jesus. Their life is changed forever because of it. If you study the whole story of the disciples from John chapter 20, verse 19, through the book of Acts, you see a very different picture of the disciples. Here, they're locked in the upper room. But after they see the resurrected Jesus, look at Acts chapter 3 and 4. Read it. In Acts 3 and 4, the disciples are lecturing those people that crucified Jesus. It is a tongue lashing. Read it. You would be inspired by it. You'd be like, yeah, right? It's that kind of reading. It's so good, right? And so then they perform a miracle and the Sanhedrin, those religious leaders are so angry at Peter and John because of what's just happened, right? And they look at them and here's what they said. The, the, the Acts records for us that they took note of them because, they're, because of their courage. Because they had been with Jesus. It changed everything for them, meeting the resurrected Jesus. And here's what I would say to you. If you look at the story and why Jesus would have showed them the actual pierce marks on his hands and in his side, here's the message he was sending. The Roman gover government exacted the full weight of their wrath against me, but they could not win. Do you know why they could not win? Because you cannot keep the creator of life in the grave. He will not stay there. You cannot overcome the one who created it all. 
And when the disciples saw that, what more could they be scared of? What could the Jews throw at them? What could the Roman government throw at, throw at them that they could not overcome through the resurrected Jesus? And they left boldly because of it, without fear. And I'm, I'm saying to you today that that's the difference that's made in the life of the believer. When they meet Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, they do not have to fear. I know you lost your job. I know you're going through transition. I know you've got that diagnosis. I know that circumstances don't look the same now. I know that it seems overwhelming, but hear me. God is very much mindful of what's going on in your life. That it has not gone unnoticed, your circumstances. And he is the one who sent his son to demonstrate the fullness of his love for you. He cares for you. You can rest in that. You can have a peace that's an anchor for your soul in spite of your circumstances this morning. And you could have clapped wildly right then. That would have been a good point to do that. I'm okay being by myself up here. That's totally okay, all right? This is the difference that's made. Now, the story doesn't end there. It goes on in, 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 the, in, in, in this historical event. So Jesus says, I can live fearlessly because of his resurrection. But the story goes on. If you're writing other things down, write this down as well. In the aftermath of the resurrection, Jesus sends me boldly into the world. Now, notice what happens in the story in verse number 21. Jesus again uses this phrase that we just saw. Again, Jesus said the second time, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Most scholars agree that what's going on here in this passage of scripture is a Jewish custom that's, custom that's taking place. In first century Jerusalem, when a rabbi would hand off the reins to the next person in line, this would be the kind of handoff that would take place. I was first in line, now you're in line. I was sent out, now you're sent out. This is Jesus doing what was very customary in the first century. He was passing the baton on. Do you see the picture? Now, now, I don't know about you, but... But since I've had kids, something very interesting has happened. Um, this is a crazy world that we live in. Did you guys know that? I, I, don't know, I don't know if you knew, but this world is crazy. There, there, are, uh, there are a lot of things going on that seem out of control, that, that people just seem out of their mind, and people are doing things that just seems unheard of. It's so incredible to read the news or to look online, to watch the TV. And sometimes, sometimes... I want to take my family and just kind of put a big bubble around them and say, we're going to stay inside here and no one's going to hurt us. Anyone in the room? I just want to withdraw and say, no thanks. I've met Jesus. I'm forgiven. He's given me peace. Good luck. Jesus walks in the room and they are scared out of their mind. He says, guys, you don't have to be scared. All that the world can throw at you, I overcome. They threw it at me and now I live. You don't have to be afraid. And they were like, oh, yes. Joy welled up. Welled up. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. This, this, this emotion that did not match the circumstances. They were overwhelmed with joy. Overjoyed. And then they look at Jesus and he says, oh, we're not done. You got to unlock the door. Could you imagine being a disciple? I could unlock that door. We, we saw what, you, what they did to you. Peter was so scared that he denied Christ three times. 
I got to go back out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here. Here's the gospel. Would you take it for me? To the ends of the earth. Would you do that? For the last three years, fellas, I've been doing this. I've been showing you who God, who the Father is. Everything he's given me to say, I've said. Every person he's given me, I have kept. I have gone the full length of what he has asked me to go. Now it's your turn. Would you go? And so he commissions the disciples to go out of the world with boldness. Now wait, 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 wait. In the aftermath of the resurrection, we can live fearlessly, but not foolishly. I'm not saying that we, that we ignore stewardship and self-control and logic and wisdom. I'm not asking us to ignore that. What I'm saying is, is as you go into your workplace and as you go into your school and as you go into your community and as we go into this world, we go not with ego, not with arrogance, not like we have something and, and you can't have it, but rather we go with confidence, with an assurance that we walk into whatever environment we're, we're in and we're ready to give an account, a defense of the hope that exists within us. And wherever we go, not with ego or arrogance, but with confidence, we walk in and we demonstrate the gospel, which is love and grace and truth, all mixed together with the right balance, and we impact the world with the gospel that Jesus gives us. The resurrected Christ gives us the ability to do that. And you would say, Matt, thank you for sharing that with me. I want to go. I want to do that. How do I do that? I'm finished with this. Just before Jesus finishes this, 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 this moment with the disciples, he says these powerful words in verse number 22. It's not the end of the story, but it's the last verse we're going to cover today. And with that, with the, with the commission of sending them, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And you would say, Matt, how, do I, how am I bold? How, how am I bold in this world? How can I have no fear? How does that actually happen on the inside? This is how it happens on the inside. This verse parallels what takes place in Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1 and 2, God makes man, but man is not full of life yet. What does he do? He, he leans into man and he breathes into man life. It's the physical life that God brought into this world. He breathed life into the man. Here in John chapter 20, it's the picture of spiritual life. In Genesis 1, he breathes physical life, but in John chapter 20, he breathes spiritual spiritual life in a man so that he can go out and live out a life without fear and live out a life of boldness in a world that is desperately needing the gospel this is the difference now i'm going to share with you before this series is over acts chapter 2 which is the day of pentecost if you are from a pentecostal background or assembly of god background or charismatic background it'll be your favorite week but you cannot run around the church when I preach that message, okay? Stay seated for me, please. Will you do that? Okay. It is the pivotal moment in history when the disciples who received the power of God to live this out live differently, so much so that they preach boldly they love deeply and they die courageously. There's some people in the room today, you walked in and you've been so paralyzed with fear that you've been, you've been locked up in an emotional or spiritual or maybe even in some physical sense room. And God today 
wants to show you once and again the resurrected Jesus so that you may live fearlessly. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.